Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. Today, we'll be chatting with Alexandra Burzon, who was part of the Wall Street Journal's reporting team that brought those allegations of sexual misconduct against Steve Wynn to light a week ago. Megan Messerly, who's broken some news herself on this story, will join me to ask questions. And as always, we'll close with some to and fro on some issues of the day between myself and the Indies managing editor, Elizabeth Thompson. We'll chat about the wind story and all of its fallout. First, though, let's get started with my recap of some of the week's headlines from the Nevada Independent. The big news since our last podcast is, of course, that journal story about all those allegations against Steve Wynn. We followed up on the news, had a story up very quickly detailing the allegations, quoting the state's top gaming regulator as saying she's reviewing them. I'll say it again. What a time for Becky Harris to be the first female chair of the most important regulatory board in Nevada. Megan later scooped that Harris was opening a probe of Wynn. She had no choice, though, especially after Massachusetts beat her to the punch by opening an investigation. The gold standard gets a silver medal? Ah, but the real story here is not that the Gaming Control Board is doing an investigation. It's what the penalty, if any, will be when it's done. We had several follow-ups on the Wynn story. We traced his campaign contributions. We got Governor Brian Sandoval and others on the record about the story. And Jackie Valley, Michelle Rendells, and Sonny Brown produced an eye-opening piece about misogyny in the gaming industry, a long-overdue glimpse into a sexist culture imbued in casinos. I hope you'll take the time to read all of our coverage. A few non-win news items. Jackie Valley reported that the ever-paralyzed Clark County School Board again didn't make a decision on how to treat transgender kids. Profiles encouraged, they are. Our man in D.C., Humberto Sanchez, corralled the delegation for responses to the president's State of the Union speech. They were nothing if not reflexive. Some of those remarks, no doubt written, before the president uttered a word. In our indie blog, check out our slew of stories about fundraising totals in federal races. A lot of interesting stuff there. So I hope you'll go and check all of our coverage out at the NevadaIndependent.com. The support our work page is especially interesting, I think. We'll be back in a moment with Alexandra Burson. We're back on Indie Matters, the podcast of the Nevada Independent, with our guest, Alexandra Burzon. She's a reporter at the Wall Street Journal based in Los Angeles. She's won several journalism awards, including the Pulitzer Prize for Public Service after investigation of construction deaths on the Strip when she worked right here in town for the Las Vegas Sun. Alexandra Burzon, welcome to Indie Matters. Thanks. Thanks Thank, for having me. Thanks for coming on. Um, I want to I want to uh, talk about something that I think a lot of people are interested in, uh, which is why the Wall Street Journal uh, decided to do this sto- story in the first place. I think with all of the sensational stuff in that story, this sentence got lost, and I want people uh, to, to to hear this and then for you to to talk about it. The journal contacted more than 150 people who work or had worked for Mr. Wynn. None reached out to the journal on their own. Uh, you put that you put that sentence in there for a reason. Why? Well, I think that there's been an effort to try to sort of tie the journal to somehow say that Elaine Wynn was behind this story, or there was some kind of insinuations around that. Um, and and also we wanted to be so. I mean that that sort of happened since the story has run. Um, one 
Um, so we we want to make clear that we did entirely independent reporting um, and that there was not anybody who came to us. I think that if someone comes to you, um, I, I, I think it just, it just kind of shows also the effort that was put into this reporting. It was very rigorous reporting. This was not easy. It was not something where people were falling over themselves to come and and be public about this, as you can see, we we have some people named in the story, but it's not easy to to do this because this is the first time in Las Vegas. I mean, while there has been, um, while there has been kind of a uh, you know Me Too sort of stories in other industries, there had not been um, for this one. And this is a, as you know, and maybe we'll talk about this is a very powerful person in the state, and um, so we, we just we're trying to also to show the you know, how much effort and care was put into putting this all together. You know, I used to do it, and people should know that this, and I think most people do. Uh, I used to do these top 10 most powerful people lists uh, in, in my newsletter, and Steve Wynn was always near the top. He is, as I've said, mm-hmm. the biggest name in the history uh, of gaming. So is that why you decided to do this story in the first place? Since obviously this was enterprise reporting. This wasn't people coming to you. It wasn't, uh, as I think has been totally uh, disingenuously said by some people that Elaine Wynn, because of the lawsuit, put you up to it. Was it just like, hey, all these other industries, politics, media, others, let's take a look at the gaming industry, including because of your experience here in Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean, I was asked to... Um to do stories that would would be um, on this topic, um, you know, it's obviously something that um, has has come up in the last year or, or even less than that is something, um, and, and it's something that's really changed the world. And um, so, anyone covering any industry should want to uh, be part of that and to look into their world and what they know. And I started with Las Vegas because that's what I know best probably at this point. Uh, I've been covering it for on and off for about a decade. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of, and, and then I had um, recalled in the lawsuit filing a couple of years ago, there was a reference to a payment made for a multi-million dollar payment that Steve Wynn made for an employee who had accused him of misconduct. Of course, there was very little, um, you know, very little information about what that was. Um, and it had been kind of sitting out there and it seemed like it was very imperative to, to understand, uh, what that was all about. And it wasn't part of any sort of pattern or any, any larger problem. And we very quickly sort of, it, it seemed from talking to people that, that it was, and we, you know, kept going with our reporting from there. Megan? Yeah, I was hoping you could talk to us a little bit about how you specifically approached the women you interviewed for this story. I mean, I'm just thinking about, you know, my own reporting I've done on, on sexual harassment, and it's it's so difficult for anyone to talk about sexual harassment or assault. Um, but like you mentioned, most of the allegations we've seen so so far as part of this broader Me Too movement have been, you know, Hollywood, um, the media industry, politicians, you know, folks who might be a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more familiar with talking to reporters. And I'm assuming many of the hotel employees you spoke with for this story hadn't talked to a journalist before. So how did you approach those conversations? Yeah, it's not easy. Um, it's not easy work to, to do because 
people are very scared. And there's also just so much skepticism about journalism and journalists and what we do. So I think part of it is um, explaining that and sort of our credibility and, and sort of listening to people about what their concerns are and, you know, um, just trying to be there for them to talk to if they're concerned and to make clear that there's not a we're not going to immediately put your name in a newspaper because you call me back or something. You know, like we're doing this with a lot of care. We're going to check out every single story. Nothing is being done like in a rushed way where you're vulnerable. Like this is done with a, a lot of care and, um, and without kind of, and, and, and this idea of just sort of you, you call a journalist and suddenly they're going to manipulate what you say and put it in the paper. Like, no, that's just not how we work at all. And we, so it's a lot of it is kind of talking through that a little bit and about the concerns. Right. And I mean, it seems like too, with, with these being, you know, ho- hotel employees, you know, there's obviously a concern, um, you know, for their jobs moving forward. They don't have sort of the, the, the status, you know, that maybe an actress or, or famous director would to be able to go out there and put their, put their name. And so I'm sure a lot of your reporting was trying to explain to people, you know, there, there is, you know, an option, you, you, like you were saying, your name doesn't have to be directly printed. Um, and so let's, let's talk through all that. So I'm sure some of that is sort of uh, building that relationship with, with everyone. Um, as you report the story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's a good point that there is, these are not power people with their own name and sort of power um, themselves. Um, and they're, they do feel vulnerable in the, in this town. You often hear, you know, that I, I won't be able to work anywhere or, you know, things like that. There's a feeling that this is a small town. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, it does make it hard to have a lot of very public accusations, that kind of sense of fear, you know, um, and it will be interesting to see to what extent that does change or not. I think that goes that goes across the board in all industries. But but you alluded to this uh, earlier and in your conversation with with Megan uh, uh, tr- triggers this for me, too. I mean, you know, in, in some of these other industries, most people in this country before this story broke had never heard of Harvey Weinstein. They, they don't know who he was. Of course, he was well known in, in Hollywood. Some of the media figures who have been uh, 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 brought down by this were relatively well known, but but not as well known, I don't think, as Steve Wynn Steve, in, in the gaming industry outside of, of Nevada. I, I've said before, uh, as you probably know, that he is the biggest name, I think, in the history of the gaming business. His company is named after him. I mean, Kirk Kerkorian was influential. Sheldon Adelson has gotten more of a profile now because of his political donations. But I don't think there's any single figure in an industry that is power as powerful as Wynn has been and still is uh, across the board. And I'm sure you came up against that in the interviews you were doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing, right, I mean, you'd have to say that there's not very many companies that are as tied to a singular person, as you're saying, as, I mean, not only as an industry is to Steve Wynn, but as a company is to a particular person. I mean, one of the things we said in our story is that his signature is the logo of the company. So this, I mean, let alone his name. So, yes, this is, and it also explains in terms of the reporting that we did, it explains some of the power dynamics that the women felt. So if you're being asked to do a certain act or whatnot, what we heard from our sources was that that was made uh, very intimidating and, and it felt like 
you kind of had to comply because it was this all-powerful person in your company saying it. So that's something that we heard a lot from our sources. It just contributed. That kind of difference in power dynamic is what contributed to this for them. And I guess what, what, what I'm wondering about here is, is, is that as you started to interview these people, at some point you did 150 interviews. There were four reporters. I think there were four bylines on the story. There were three contributing lines at the end. You clearly deployed a lot of resources to this. But at some point, and I'm trying to, you did in your story what we try to do in ours, uh, to, to be honest with you, which is to be as transparent as you could be about how you reported the story, which I think is really important to the credibility of a story like this. But at some point, I assume you you did this for weeks, if not months, you decided it reached critical mass. Well, what, what was that point? I think it was the point where, first of all, with our understanding of what the um, payment issue like, um, um, uh, had been about, and that took a lot of reporting, uh, very complex reporting, to, to figure that out. That was certainly not some sort of obvious thing or thing just handed to us quickly. I mean, it was very very difficult to, to figure that out. So once we had fully felt like we, and, and of course, you know, hearing it one way is not enough. I mean, we had to feel unbelievably, I mean, confident in something like that. So that was, you know, a lot of time spent on that, um, as well as um, all the other stories that we had heard. I mean, we didn't, weren't just gonna, I mean, we, we, we needed to feel just fully solid in, in each of these stories. And once we felt that we had enough of these stories that we felt were very solid, I think that's where it became imperative to tell the public about what we had discovered through our reporting. And I think that somewhere in there, just responsibly, we should say that Steve Wynn does say that he, um, you know, did not assault um, anybody, a woman. So that's an important thing to to just mention as far as talking, especially about that uh, manicurist um, and the the who is the the um, the payment the person who got the payment that we've been talking about. I, I, I want making a jump back in here in a second, but the, but since you raised it, I re- there was a question I really want to ask about that because his his statement to me was a, 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 almost a non denial denial, and, and and apparently your reporting included talking to a lot of people who she talked to contemporaneously with the incident, and, and some have described it as an assault, some have described it as as even a rape. The the description in this in the story to me though doesn't fit either of those uh, descriptions in the sense that I think what you said is that I should have had it in front of me and I don't and I apologize. She eventually disrobed and and, and they had sex. Was it described by her to these other people as a non-consensual act? Our understanding is that it was described by her as he forced her to have sex with him. Forced. Um, That was how she had described it. We don't really feel, you know, we're not going to characterize it with a particular word I can say that that's how she she said it and in the um, in one of the court hearings um, as we point out in our stories an attorney for Wynn had uh, referred to this as an assault allegation again he denies that there was an assault but that's how they have characterized it okay I wanted to jump in on, on something you touched on um, during, during the prior question, which is this this idea of the wind name, right? Like you mentioned, you know, anyone driving down the strip sees the wind, you know, in his handwriting on his building. Um, and, and so just thinking about, you know, all the planned expansions that they've announced in Las Vegas and in Massachusetts, I mean, what kind of an impact do you think these allegations could have long term on sort of wind projects, you know, given 
you know, your, your experience covering um, the, the gaming industry? I mean, John probably has as good a sense of that as anybody. I mean, I think it's obviously this is all going to play out. And I don't believe that the board has has taken on the, the regulators, that is, has taken on something um, quite like this before. And you have a sort of independent board investigation for when you have the regulators investigating in Nevada, you have the regulators in Massachusetts investigating, which is kind of a a wild card um, there because that's such a new um, venue for casinos. So I think there's a lot of just kind of things in the air right now. Um, I don't know, John, what is your, what are your, your sense of that? Well, I think this is a fascinating question about what happens in the future. I'm wondering, I know you, and at the journal, you have a lot of experts uh, there on, on, on these kinds of things. But uh, from, a, from a corporate governance uh, point of view, uh, you, you look at a guy, has, as you pointed out, he is just so synonymous with this company that whatever success they have had and may have in the future is so inextricably linked to him and his vision. On the other hand, how does this company move forward? Uh, when you have a guy with this incredibly well-reported, well-documented history of sexual misconduct, how in these times especially, how do you leave him at the top of the company? That's, I guess, what I would ask. And I guess you watch what's happening with the stock price. It went up a little bit today, I believe. I think it hit 170 at, uh, again uh, today, but it's lost, mm-hmm. you know, 15, 18 percent mm-hmm. of its value. I mean, what, what, are, what, do you, what are the people who are experts at the journal think? I mean, I think one thing to, to keep in mind, too, is that while we were discussing how he denied the assault, that there was any assault, he um, has, has not addressed, actually, as far as I know, um, other allegations. There were other things in our story that we discussed that was sort of unwanted, both language, atten- sexual attention, sexual language, sexual acts, um, and there's not been, as far as I know, again, any statement of denial about that. So the statement has been that he did not assault anybody. And I think that's, that will be an interesting thing for, for regulators and whatnot and, you know, all the, all the folks looking into this to kind of, kind of try to figure that out. Another thing I, I was just curious about, and I mean, we've been looking at this too, but, you know, with again, with sort of all these conversations with different stories coming up about different men, you know, we, we've seen some somewhat of a public reaction to, you know, such and such politicians been accused and, and, and folks coming out on Twitter and, you know, putting out statements and what have you. Um, and there, we really haven't seen that, um, at least here in Nevada, specifically looking at the state um, since your article published. I mean, what tensions do you think are at play here that make it more difficult to speak out against, you know, a, a Steve Wynn as opposed to, you know, a Hollywood ce- celebrity or, or a politician? I mean, it's a good question. I guess it's, I guess it's, it's somebody who is a huge employer at the top of the company. It's not, you know, there's differences with, with some, I mean, it's a little bit more like Weinstein in that way, but a lot of the other allegations have been people who are more, in the, you know, not actually at the top, you know, somebody like Matt Lauer, for example, so, so someone else can take the action above, above him, and then it sort of becomes kind of clear to everyone what, what way to go, and everyone kind of falls over themselves to, to condemn it. I think in this case, you don't have the company doing that, and so there's no, like, um, place to follow. Like, you know, there's not, it's not kind of a um, this, it's not a sort of an obvious script to follow with that. Um, he's still there. He still runs the company. 
and uh, and there's also all these investigations that are that are going on too. I guess one thing I'm curious about, uh, we've already published one story quoting a current gaming executive and a former gaming executive, both females, about the sexism and the current and the culture inside uh, the gaming industry, which we've all heard about, right? Anyone who's lived here for any amount of time, and it may be more imbued in that in that industry than in almost any other one. There's sexism, I think, in every industry, but the gaming industry, maybe even to a greater degree. Did you pick that up with, with, with some of these women, a lot of these women talking about, like, that's just the way it is, the men run everything, the power dynamic, not just with Steve Wynn, but with supervisors, et cetera. Somewhat. It's not been the focus of our reporting. I mean, um, um, in terms of kind of just general sexism, in, um, although it's certainly, does, yes, it has come up. It certainly seems that it's something that people uh, there are, are um, upset about. Um, I think there's a little bit of a difference between sort of, it sounds like you're sort of describing like executive rank kind of, and a lot of our story was if um, people in a different type of position. So for them, they're not necessarily trying to like get ahead in that way, but I, you know, in a corporate sense, but uh, yes, definitely. Um, it it seems uh, something that there's a lot of concern about in the, in the industry and has been for a long time. I, I'm curious. And this is something that, that you touched on, um, you know, that, that this idea that, um, this is so prevalent, right? It could it could be more prevalent in the business community. And you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that you were sort of, um, you know, asked to look into um, some of this, and, and Las Vegas was sort of a natural place to start, um, g- given your background here. And and so I'm curious. I mean, do you think this is really just the tip of the iceberg for the whole business community as a whole, and and maybe um, folks feeling more comfortable to speak out against executives and and things of that nature? I think it would be interesting. This is the first publicly traded company, like a big major company to to go through this. Um, And I think how it plays out is going to probably impact some of the other, what happens at other companies, I would think. I mean, I'm just kind of speculating here. I don't, I haven't really done reporting on that, but it seems like there might be people taking like a wait and see kind of approach to see how this, how all this plays out. Um, and, um, yeah, it could, it seems to me like it could impact other, especially obviously in this industry, but also in other, in other industries. I don't, I don't want to, uh, I'm always loath to, to ask reporters from other news organizations, these kinds of questions, but since I'm not shy, I'll, I'll give, I'll give it a shot. Is it fair to say that you're still working on uh, other Nevada stories? Yeah, we're still, we're still reporting. I think there's a lot to still, um, you know, to, that's going to play out here. Now, that, 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 that was my guess. Listen, I know, I know how busy you are. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on the podcast today. And, and you guys did a fantastic job of reporting uh, on that first story. And I'm looking forward to seeing more. Thank you. Thanks again. We're back on Indie Matters, the podcast of the Nevada Independent, with my usual end of the podcast guest, the best part of the show. Elizabeth Thompson, my managing editor, is here to discuss this win story. Hi, Elizabeth. Hello. So let's talk about something that you and I have had conversations with over the last few days and that I just talked to Alexandra Burzon about, which is 
this issue of, and, and she brought up the, the issue of the non-denial, denial of all the other things in, in the piece, except for saying that he never assaulted anyone. And even the description in the Wall Street Journal of what happened with the manicures that resulted in the $7.5 million settlement is different in how Alexandra Berzon described what the woman told people using the word forced and pressured. And this, this, this probably is a distinction with a difference, right? It's a crucial distinction and difference in my mind. And I think we have to be very careful about these things, not just as journalists, but as members of a civil society. These are very serious allegations. Either way, my reading of the Wall Street Journal story is that this manicurist felt forced, but the way she described the incident itself is that she ultimately disrobed and they had intercourse at that point or some kind of sexual uh, interactions. And that's not an assault if that's what happened. That, to me, describes a situation that happened under duress. Certainly, it's clear she felt pressured, tried to get out of the situation. Who knows what was said uh, or done in that room to intimidate her, persuade her, how much fear she felt. We don't know. I, for one, would like to hear more more details from this woman and, and from the other woman. I don't think we we'll could, ever right? hear that. I don't think we'll ever hear that. But um, what's interesting about it, I agree with you, uh, with you a hundred percent on that. And and who knows if she even used the word forced? She, there's no one quoted in the, in the piece. No one quoted even uh, anonymously as saying Steve Wynn used physical force. Right now, I don't want anyone listening to say that this. We think that this minimizes what is described in there as the behavior of a, a serial sexual predator. Uh, on, on his employees. I don't want anyone to think that, but I think that what you're bringing up is a very, very important point. Is, is Some people have said, oh, it's obviously an assault. That's not how it's described in the story at all. No, and we just, we have to be clear and we have to be fair and we have to be factual. Um, the behavior is appalling and disgusting, and I agree with you. I wouldn't want for one second uh, for anyone listening to think that I take it more lightly just because it may not have been a physical assault. Um, certainly, these women uh, felt pressured and were in fear for their jobs. Uh, I thought the statements we got this week from Mary Bell Batcher and Jan Jones were so poignant and to the point, I guess that means the same thing, you know, on this topic in general in the casino industry uh, in Nevada that, you know, for decades there's been this, frankly, well-known but not much talked about aura um, of sexual predation that to some degree goes on even at the executive levels of these organizations and... It's about time we talk about it. I'm glad we're talking about it. I'm very sad that uh, the circumstances under which uh, we're talking about it, and it's just disturbing, but here, here we are. You know, it's interesting, uh, just to wrap up the discussion of this one part of the story. Having said everything we've said, there is no description of, of, of an actual assault in that piece. Even uh, Alexandra Berzon, while she said the woman told people that Steve Wynn forced her to have sex, we don't know what that means in terms of the use of the word force. There's, there's never been any criminal charges filed. No, no one found anything like that. On the other hand... $7.5 million. Something happened in that room that Steve Wynn apparently doesn't want talked about uh, and uh, will never want to see this woman uh, in, in a criminal proceeding t 
or a civil proceeding testifying about what actually happened. My point is, and I I hope that this is coming clear to people listening, and you and I had this conversation, is that we want to be as fair as we can as journalists. And I think the Wall Street Journal, to their credit, uh, wanted to be as fair as possible in reporting this story. There's no evidence that we have of an assault. No, there's not. But it does bother me, I must admit, that nearly a week after this story broke, all we have on record from Steve Wynn is a denial of an assault. There was no denial of other types of behavior that were mentioned in that story, including you know, these women feeling pressured, uh, certainly at the very least. Uh, he didn't address the misuse uh, of his position to either entice or threaten people into doing what uh, he wanted them to do for him uh, when they were alone together. And I find that, frankly, disturbing. I, I think he should say something about it, whether it's a denial, some kind of acknowledgement. You know, I don't know. That's not for me to say. That's for him and his family and his wife and his closest advisors and perhaps his attorneys to discuss. Ah, that's where you got. That's that's where I think you you've gotten to it. Finally, you're reacting as a human being might. Like, why aren't you denying the rest of this? I think that that statement that was put out was written by lawyers, that he must be taking a lot of legal advice here not to say anything. And believe me, it must be killing Steve Wynn, who was the most valuable human being uh, I know, not to be saying and, and saying anything. Now, there's a reason for that. and it, But it is significant. And, and, and Alexandra Berzon pointed this out right at the beginning of our interview today. And you just pointed it out, too. There is no denial of anything other than I never assaulted anybody. You know, you've accused me of all this other stuff. I'm going to say I'm going to deny something that you haven't accused me of. That is suspicious to any person, I think, out there. Sure. Uh, And you responded just as I hoped you would when I said the word attorneys, because (laughs) I, I think we do need to remind people that there are going to be some legal issues here, probably at some level, and certainly the board of Wynn Resorts is considering those issues very carefully. At the same time, we have the Gaming Control Board uh, in Nevada, an entity that is responsible for overseeing the licensees, both individual uh, and corporate, in this state. Uh, And there is a clause in gaming uh, law in Nevada that requires licensees to uphold moral standards. And so not only do are there legal issues and not only are there corporate issues and personal issues, but we also have the Gaming Control Board. I assume uh, they've said they're investigating this. I, I assume they are well into finding out what they can. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, they have pretty broad authority, do they not, to delve into corporate documents that might not be available to just about anyone else? Um, it's not much of an exaggeration to say they can do anything they want. This is called a privileged license in Nevada. You, you correctly said about upholding a certain uh, moral standards. The real issue here is, and we talked to, 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 to Alexandra about how difficult this was to report. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for the Gaming Control Board to investigate this. There are some people named in that story, I, I believe, including the former head of the salon who talked about people were scared every time he came down there. They surely are going to go and do a long uh, 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 interview uh, with her. But l- let me ask you, let me just switch gears and ask you about something that uh, 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 you may have a lot more, you do, I'm sure, have a lot more knowledge of than I do because you've had business clients, you, you know something about how businesses uh, work. And, and 
there is this dichotomy that I talked about uh, on this podcast already between Steve Wynn being as inextricably linked with his company as any single individual. It's not just because it's named Wynn, but he is known as a visionary. He transformed the dynamic of Las Vegas. He he is an incredibly articulate person. He loves being on TV. Way back in the day, people who were listening to this weren't even born when this happened, Elizabeth. He used to do commercials for the Golden Nugget with Frank Sinatra, wow. and he loved being in those commercials. He's always been so he he is an iconic figure how do you have win resorts without steve win and then on the other hand you have a board you have shareholders who are, who just must be like waking up every day in a cold sweat seeing what's happened happening to their win stock how can this possibly be sustained with him at the helm it probably can't um and that's why the morgan stanley report uh the analyst report that we reported on speculated uh that it's fairly likely that we'll see some kind of a sale. That's not for sure, of course. There are other ways this could play out. Steve Wynn could step down as chairman and divest himself of his chair of his shares voluntarily. The board could force that situation if they so choose. And that's a decision you're right that they need to make as they weigh the hundreds of millions of dollars that have already been lost just in terms of the share price falling drastically since the story broke, and the brand, which they have to keep intact. And that's one reason why shareholders are and board executives are probably looking to push this forward as quickly as possible because every day that this remains in the national news cycle and at the top of the headlines here in Nevada, the wind brand takes a huge hit. The only place on the planet it may not be taking a hit is in Macau. There's a couple properties there, and I wouldn't actually be surprised to see perhaps those get split off in some way. But the American holdings, we have a toxic situation here with an executive who probably in some way, shape, or form needs to go in order for the brand to be preserved. That's all the shareholders and stockholders and and board members are really going to care about, however they may personally feel uh, about the situation. And so uh, I think we're going to see lots more headlines until such time as that final big, okay, here's what's going to happen thing happens. And I don't think we're going to have to wait too long for that. Harvey Weinstein, once all of the evidence came out and the stories kept piling up and piling up, eventually had to leave the company. And I believe, uh, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they even changed their name. I think that's going to have to happen uh, with Wynn Resort. So usually we don't take much more time, but I do. There's a couple other things I want to discuss that I, that I think people are interested uh, in. And, and one is the political influence and, and, and the money, which we've already done a lot of reporting on. I hope people will go uh, on, on the site, the NevadaIndependent.com, and see uh, a couple of stories that we've done about follow the money, one of our follow the money signature stories about Steve Wynn's contributions. And also we now have a constantly updating story with a chart about, about uh, politics politicians being asked questions. And we're not just so going, what are you going to do with the money? We're asking a series of questions and we have those answers and then we're getting very different answers. What, what stuns me, uh, Elizabeth, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have the capacity to be stunned at this point after covering <laughs> this so long, is the people who have been the biggest recipients this cycle of, of wins uh, uh, money and, and, and embrace uh, Adam Laxalt and Dean Heller have given back money, have, have given the money to charity, but they have said nothing to that they're disturbed, upset about these allegations. I don't know if you're just a human being, you come out and say, man, this sounds awful. Yes, or at the very least, you could say, we're going to decline to comment until we see how this plays out, either in the courts or 
with the investigation. Obviously, we're concerned, but you know, we don't want to rush to judgment. That that's an easy kind of nondescript thing to say, and in my mind, a much better thing than silence. I mean, look, people have kind of four choices right now of what they can do. They can return the money and say nothing, return the money and say something, or keep the money and speak or not speak, right? Those are your four (coughs) choices. I respect, I think, the choices more where people choose to say something, whether or not they choose to return the money, because returning the money, in my mind, okay, that's a quick, easy, knee-jerk thing you can do. You give it to charity, great, yada, yada, go on with your day. But it's more important that people of influence and status who have been elected to public office have the courage to speak when things of this nature occur. And one of the things that I find appalling, and I'm just I'm going to slam the Republicans straight out here, they were – many Republicans in the state were very quick to call for – Representative Reuben Kewin's resignation when the allegations first started to surface of some sexual sh- shenanigans with, with staffers and people that he was in contact with in his campaign, campaign and when he was in Congress, they did not hesitate to say he should be gotten rid of right now. These same people haven't said a peep about this situation. Why? Because Steve Wynn is a big Republican donor. And it doesn't behoove them, apparently, personally or in their campaigns to say anything about it. I find that reprehensible. I believe, above all, in intellectual honesty. I don't care what your political party is. There are some times when we have to set politics aside uh, and just call a spade a spade. That was, I've known you a long time. That was one of your best rants ever. I, I, I got to give you Thank you, yes. I guess. I hope someone listens and yeah. takes it to heart, more uh, importantly. I have a feeling, uh, Elizabeth, even though I may be slightly more cynical uh, than you are, that our Profiles and Courage tab on the Indie site is going to remain fairly spare <laughs> for a while. Finally, so cynical. Finally, I think we should discuss here really briefly, if we can, since we're talking about giving back money. And I wrote a piece about this, and we had to make a, a decision this week as an organization, and the board voted unanimously to keep $75,000 that Wynn Resorts had given to us uh, a few months ago. Uh, I should say also by way of disclosure that Elaine Wynn uh, and her foundation have given us uh, I believe thirty thousand uh, dollars, and and that uh, the arguments went, we went back and forth on on, on this, and we, we we I hope we were very thoughtful about. We decided to keep the money basically with the main argument. I think that everyone on the board agreed with. And by the way, I think most people uh, who think about this will agree with uh, was that you know where do we draw the line? This becomes a slippery slope. When do we give back money? We give back this money. You know what kind of depredations are going to rise to the level that we should uh, give back the money? Money. But I want people to know that we were totally transparent about this. If you want to know why we are keeping the money, please go on the site and read about it. Yeah. The, and the other thing, too, is that every dollar that's given to us, regardless of the source, I can say two things about it. Number one, it doesn't influence our decisions about the stories we write, period. There is no promise, implicit or otherwise, to any donor when they write us a check, whether it's $5 or $100,000 or what have you, um, that it's going to do anything more than support independent, nonpartisan journalism in this state, period. Uh, And that's the other reason that I feel good about the decision that the board made, because the money is going to a good purpose. In fact, the reporters that are now reporting on these allegations against Steve Wynn are being supported by Steve Wynn's 
own money. I actually think that's kind of a beautiful thing. You know, I care about the civic fabric in this state. Um, I love our donors to death for believing in what we're doing. And I think every one of them fully understand that we will not lay off stories uh, if they happen to be uh, in the line of fire at some point down the road. Well said. Uh, I want to say, just in in wrapping up here, that uh, – and. I, I don't mind disclosing this, so, so to speak, Elizabeth. We, we've been around now for about a year. Not one donor has called at any time to tell me to do something, to, uh, to complain about how we've covered something. And many of our major donors uh, have to have been upset with things they saw. But because we are doing, we are trying, I'm not saying this in a, as some form of braggadocio. This is a fact. You can go on the site. We have tried to be fair. Our reporters are so scrupulously fair. And many of them all of them would not be working for us if I were to ever say uh, our major donor called and I have to kill the story. That's so true. We, we, I love our team because every single person is committed to integrity, to the ethics of the profession. Uh, I encourage our listeners to go to our donor page, look at that top 20 or 30 donors there, commit that to memory, and then go to the search function on the site and start Googling some of our recent stories that involve those people. And they can quickly figure out for themselves that donations have no bearing uh, on our story choices. Uh, Having said that, if anybody thinks they have, we welcome criticism. We will not be defensive. We want to have that kind of conversation uh, ongoing uh, uh, permanently as long as we're around. Elizabeth, uh, you are even uh, more stellar than usual today, and I, well, appreciate, thank you. I appreciate your coming on. A reminder to everybody, uh, our podcast uh, interviews will now also be available at KUNV, the university's radio station, at 8.30 p.m. on Thursdays. We're thrilled, as I've said many times, to continue to partner with UNLV, and we're going to be announcing another special event very soon that will be right here on campus. That's all the time we have for this edition of the Indie Matters Podcast. We want to know what you think. If you have ideas, criticism, or even praise, email us at ideas at thenvindy.com. That's ideas at thenvindy.com. Please check out the site. I've said it a few times already, thenevadaindependent.com. You can also listen to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Go on there, subscribe, uh, uh, please listen. I want to thank, again, Alexandra Burson for coming on and having a really candid conversation about how the Wall Street Journal reported that story. As always, I want to thank our wonderful hosts here at KUNV on the campus of UNLV. And, of course, many thanks to Joey Lovato, our fantastic producer, who makes us all sound... Podcast smooth. Hey, listen to that. Elizabeth is under the weather, and she still sounds smoother than I will ever sound on this podcast. I'm John Ralston. Thanks for listening to Indie Matters, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>